we got work to do. So grab your Bible, open your apps, get to Psalm 126. Psalm 126. This psalm is part of a, a group of psalms, if you've missed the last few weeks, known as the Psalms of Ascent. Uh, these uh, songs were basically the playlist uh, of the people of God. So as they would travel to Jerusalem three times a year for the great worship festival, spring, summer, and fall, these 15 psalms were, again, they were, they were the soundtrack of the people of God. This is what they would sing on their journey up to uh, Jerusalem. So just uh, awesome stuff. I love Psalm 126. Today, the psalm is a, uh, it's known as a community psalm of thanksgiving. And how many of you know, we all got things to be thankful for in life, don't we? And so this is an awesome thing. This is one of my favorite psalms in the Ascent series. Excited to share, uh, unpack some of these truths with you. But as always, let's pause just for a moment and pray and ask for the Lord's help as we open his word together today. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we come to you and uh, our hearts are thankful. God, I know uh, it's tempting in this world to be ungrateful, to not be thankful, to uh, complain and think about all the things that we we wish we had or don't have or whatever it is, God, in our lives. God, would you remind us that we are, uh, by nature, as redeemed people, a thankful people. And Father, we, we also ask for your help. We would confess that uh, we, we can't do these things in our own hearts and minds. We need you to do them for us. Uh, we believe that uh, you're a living God. You're active even today. You're not a dead God. You speak to us. You move us. You shape us. You uh, reorient our lives uh, every single day. And so we ask, ask that you would interact with us now through your word, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we would invite you uh, into this place, into this space. Be active in our hearts and our minds. Would you speak to us in a way that would transform us, that we'd leave this place more like your son, Jesus, and it's in his beautiful name that we ask and we pray. Amen. Now, let me ask you a question as we get started. Uh, have you ever lost something of great value? So I just want to kind of jog your memory, think back. Have you ever lost something of great value? Maybe it was a, a, a wedding ring, or, or maybe if you're uh, younger, maybe you lost your iPhone for like five minutes, and you just thought your life was going to collapse around you. Uh, but whatever it is, just think, think of that one thing that you, that you lost of great value. Do you have it in your mind now? Everybody's lost something at some point of great value. Now, I can remember Cheryl and I, my wife, were, were talking just this, this past week uh, about one of these instances in our life. And I told you guys before, uh, when we were dating in college, I knew um, I was playing way, way over my league. And so I had to get the ring right. And so I sold one of my kidneys on the black market so I could buy uh, the rock that I put on her, her finger. And uh, last year, maybe six months ago, something like that, seven months ago, we were going down to South Carolina for a few days, and so she took her wedding uh, bands off because she didn't want to lose them and, and put on just like a silicone band like I got on now. And uh, when we got back, she, she put her, her actual wedding ring, uh, engagement ring back on on a Sunday morning before she was coming to church, and she looked down, and one of the three diamonds was missing. She was like, oh! Oh, no, she didn't have time to look because they were late. You know, I had to get out, get the kids, get out, get to church. And she said the whole drive to church, the whole time during church, she probably didn't hear a word I said in the sermon. The whole drive back, she was just praying, God, please help me find that diamond. He's only got one kidney left. And so he, need, he needs one of them. He can't sell his other one because he, well, he, he might have to because um, I got to have my ring. And so she was just praying, God. And so she said she got home, and the very first place she looked, right on the kitchen floor, set that diamond. And she picked it up, and she was so excited. She was so grateful. The thing that she had lost had now been found. She was so excited. Like, how many of you have had that experience where you lost something of great value, but then you found it? How does that feel? 
feels amazing, right? You're like on cloud nine. You're like, man, I thought I never was going to see that thing again. And now I have it again. This is incredible. It's a, just an awesome feeling. Well, that kind of restoration of something that seems hopelessly lost, we're going to find out in Psalm 126, creates in us this sense of indescribable joy. That's what Psalm 126 is all about. The restoration that God provides to weary souls so that we can experience the joy that he's designed us as his sons and his daughters uh, to, to walk in. Now, many scholars believe that this particular psalm that we're about to jump into, Psalm 126, uh, was written with the exile in Babylon in, in mind. Okay, so if you're here last summer uh, for the Daniel series, we talked a lot about that, the exile in Babylon. If you don't know, here's a short of it. Basically, God's people were taking, taken into captivity by Babylon which was this godless, idolatrous, bloodthirsty, uh, cruel kingdom, and they were taken into captivity for 70 years. Now, I just want you to imagine that, if you could, for a moment. 70 years of unanswered prayers. 70 years of, of tears. 70 years of clinging to a promise without seeing any answers. And then after 70 years, God shows up, he delivers his people. He brings them out of captivity, takes them back to their homeland. What was lost is now restored. Now, now we don't know for sure if that, if that is the historical event that the psalmist has in mind or perhaps another similar event. The, it, it really doesn't matter. The truth is the same. We all need restoration and renewal at different seasons in our life. Now, where, where you go to find that restoration and renewal makes all the difference. And so let's go ahead and dive in. Psalm 126, starting in verse 1. Uh, let's read it, just six verses, and then we'll dive in. The psalmist writes this When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Now this psalm is broken down into two primary sections. The psalmist looks back in verses 1 through 3, and he presses forward in verses 4 through 6. So it's kind of the idea is remembering the dream and then how to get the dream. Remembering back and then crafting a plan to, to get the dream. Now, in our day, it's common to hear people uh, say the phrase or say something like, I'm living the dream. Like you ask sometimes, hey, bro, how you doing? Living the dream, baby. I'm just living the dream, right? Maybe you've said that yourself. It usually is that people will say that when they're like, you know, they just bought their new house or got a brand new car. They're going to some European vacation or something like that. Living the dream, baby. But how many of you know that living the dream actually has nothing to do with material success and everything to do with spiritual health, vitality, purpose, meaning in life? Now, what this psalm is going to tell us is that there are several things or several components to this kind of God-given divine restoration. The psalmist is going to tell us four things primarily, that it's God-supplied, that it's all-inspiring, that it's joy-producing, and that it serves as a powerful testimony to our neighbors. Now, I just want to look at those four components one at a time. So divine restoration and renewal is number one on the screens for you, for your note takers. Number one, it's God supplied. Look at verse one. 
It says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. Church, who did the restoring? The people or God? God. God, right? And the point, the point is this, this kind of like deep, deep-seated, soul-satisfying renewal and restoration. Listen, guys, it's not something that we can manufacture in our own strength. We simply can't. Now, now we certainly, we try, don't we? We, th- we think, man, and I'm guilty of this. Like, man, if I, could just, if I can just control this situation at work, if I could just manipulate this relationship so that the other person starts doing not what they want to do, but what I want to do, that's awesome in marriage, by the way, if you, if you want to work on that. Right. Don't ask me how I know. Right. Actually, it's because Cheryl does that to me all the time, and she's in therapy for it, so y'all can pray for her. Just kidding, baby. Just kidding. Or we think, man, if I, can, if I could just... I need this renewal. I need this restoration in my life. Maybe if I could just, man, I just need to retreat after a long day of work or school. I need to go to my bedroom and just binge my favorite TV show. If I can just get some uh, concert tickets to a T-Swift concert, man, my life would be, my life would be golden. If I could just get a week at the beach, put my feet in the sand, man, have one of those little drinks with a little umbrella, man, then I would be renewed and refreshed. And the reality is all those things can be helpful in the short term, but your favorite show ends, the concert finishes, the vacation is over, the alarm goes off the next Monday morning at 6 a.m., you gotta get up for work or school or whatever it is. No, friend, the kind of renewal and restoration that you and I need, the, one, the kind of restoration the psalmist is speaking of here is the kind of renewal that cannot be manufactured by human beings. In other words, you can't punch a button, you can't flip a switch. In fact, you can't do it in your own strength at all, friend. What he's saying is that true restoration and renewal comes from the hand of God himself and nowhere else. He is the God who renews and restores his people. So let me just say, if you're here, if you're watching online and you're feeling weary today, if you feel like you've been in exile for 70 years, if it feels like your life is a spiritual desert, Maybe, just maybe, that's because you've been looking to the wrong sources for your renewal and restoration. And Psalm 126 remind us, reminds us, believer, look to God. Look to God. He is in the restoration business. Think about it. From the very beginning of time, he's been all about restoring people, restoring marriages, restoring families, restoring churches and communities and even entire nations. Look to him and be renewed. That's the whole message of Psalm 126. I love what it says at the end of verse 1. It says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream." The psalmist is like, he's thinking back about how God delivered and restored and brought renewal. And he's like, man, listen, y'all. When God showed up, when he delivered us, when he restored what we thought was lost forever, y'all, it was like we were in a dream. Like, like, we, like we couldn't believe it. We had to like pinch ourselves to make sure it was actually really real. It's like when my wife, Cheryl, wakes up every morning and she has to pinch herself. Like, are you really my husband? I'm like, baby, yes, yes, I belong to you. We are married, I'm going nowhere. And then I woke up for my dream. So we're all dreaming here in Psalm 126. That's the whole point. It's okay to dream big dreams. But have you ever had a moment like that? It was just like so wonderful. You're like, is this real? Like, I can't, somebody pinched me. Like, is this real, for real, for real? Maybe, maybe your wedding day, for those of you who are married, maybe you had your first kid, 
Uh, maybe when your team won the, the World Series, if you're a sports fan, Cubbies fans, back a few years ago, whatever, whatever it is, you probably have had one of those experiences like, man, man, is this a dream? So, so, somebody pinched me, but this was no dream. God actually showed up. He delivered his people. They can hardly believe it. And that's the second mark of d- divine restoration is that it's not only God-given, God-supplied. Number two, it's always awe-inspiring. It does something within our souls that just makes our hearts sing. Man, it's just, it, when God shows up in that way in your life and renews your strength and, and restores your hope, man, it's just unbelievable. Now, for those of you watching online in the room and th- that are already followers of Jesus like I am, you, you probably have experienced this. Just like I have. There are times where I sit down when I slow down enough and I just kind of look at my life and I'm like, man, I, I can't believe that God saved me. I mean, I, I can't believe God loves me. Like, with all my faults, with all my failures as a man, like, God chose me. He loves me. Like, he set me apart. He calls me his son. Like, me, are you, are you kidding me? Somebody pinch me. Somebody wake me up. This must be a dream. But it's no dream. For me, this brings to mind the story in Luke chapter uh, 24, where, where the resurrected Jesus Uh, appears to the disciples right they're all kind of huddled up in this room they're kind of afraid but they're hearing rumors that people are seeing jesus they're actually talking about it also and jesus just appears in the middle of the room just startles them right like oh this is jesus and he's like hey man can i have some fish (laughs) he's like man i'm kind of hungry you got something for me to eat and then it, it says luke 24 says these awesome words it says they disbelieved for joy they're literally like wait a minute we thought we saw him on the cross like we, we saw him put him in the tomb. Like we, we saw his dead body. And is it, am I seeing, like am I seeing that? It's Jesus, y'all. He's alive. It says they disbelieved for joy. They could not believe it. It was like a dream. This is the same idea in Psalm 126. Listen, y'all. When God shows up, when he begins to restore what was lost in your life and my life, it's unbelievable. It's like a, it's like a dream. And then it gets even better. Look at verse two. He says this, then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Like they were so surprised at God's work in their lives that they can't help but laugh. And then think about the the last part of that verse. It says our mouths were filled with shouts of joy. With shouts of joy. And that's the third mark of divine restoration. Number three is that it's joy producing in our lives. Not only is it God-provided, not only is it awe-inspiring, but it's joy-producing. Now, now listen, guys, I've, I've said this before. I'll say it again because I think it's true. Christians ought to be the most joyful people walking planet Earth today. Listen, God, who's got it better than us? We ought to be the most joyful people walking the planet today. Yeah, and I'm not talking about kind of the, the fake plastic smile, fake joy, like nothing's ever wrong in your life. I don't think that kind of disingenuous, fake uh, happiness serves you well or anybody else around you well. But what I am talking about is just kind of like this deep-seated, kind of the deep stuff, the good stuff, that even when we walk through difficult times in life, the children of God experience this kind of deep hope and joy. I love the way uh, Eugene Peterson, a pastor who passed away a few years ago, in a book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, which is actually based on the Psalms of Ascent. I love the way he writes this. This will be on the screens for you. Peterson writes, one of the delightful discoveries along the way of Christian discipleship is how much enjoyment there is. 
how much laughter you hear, how much sheer fun you find. As Christians, we should partake in joy as a daily ritual, exclaiming our enjoyment and living a life of obedience to God. Listen, y'all, there ought not be such a thing as a joyless Christian. Now, for sure, we experience, all of us experience seasons of sorrow and loss and sadness, but undergirding all of that is this hope and joy that we have in Christ that nothing, no circumstance and no person can take from us. So let, let me just say, maybe, maybe if you grew up in a, a more uh, legalistic church background or as a kid or or maybe, just, maybe you're new to church, but you've got this kind of impression of what it means to follow Jesus. But if you have in your mind that following Jesus means becoming like a, a sad, somber, super serious, no fun kind of person, I just want to say this morning, somebody lied to you. Somebody lied. Following Jesus is the most exhilarating adventure you could choose in this life. It's full of ups and downs, man, but it is, it is fun. If you don't believe Christians lie, come to the dude's thing tonight. All right, we're going to be laughing. We're going to be cutting up. It's going to be a great time. And what the psalmist is saying here is, believer, rejoice. Because God delights to renew you and restore you when you're in those seasons of darkness and loss. The last part of verse 2 says this. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. In other words, the people around these uh, followers of God begin to, to say things like, man, what's gotten into them? Like, have you noticed how happy those people are? Like, they're not the richest people. They're not the most famous people. Have you noticed how much joy they have? And then it somehow, some way, uh, dawns on them, ah, it's their God. Their God has made them glad. Their God has given this, them this level of joy. And listen, it should be that same way for us today, Christian. Like, our, our neighbors ought to look into, peer into our lives and think, Huh, like they believe some really wild things, but look at them. Look how happy they are. Man, that, that dude just lost his job and he's walking around on his grass with a smile on his face. This is unbelievable. Maybe there's something to this whole Jesus thing after all. See, believer, our, our lives in some real sense should be attractive to the world. Your life, in some real way, ought to be enticing to your neighbors. And that's the fourth mark of, of this kind of divine, supernatural renewal or restoration. Number four is that it serves as a powerful testimony to our neighbors. To our neighbors. Listen, guys, it's not all about us. It's about the world around us, seeing God in us and God through us in such a way that they would think in their minds like, man, I, I want what they got. In fact, I, I think I, in fact, in fact, I think I need what they have. I'm not sure why it is that they can journey through this life and have an undergirding sense of joy and hope, and I feel like I need to know more about that. And verse three is a, is a great summary of all of this. this. This would, by the way, make a great life verse or a manifesto of the Christian faith. Look at verse three. It says this: "The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad." Isn't that good? Isn't, isn't, and isn't that true? The Lord has done, church, great things for us, and we are glad. Some of y'all just need to write that on your bathroom mirror every morning so it just smacks you in the face when you wake up or tattoo it on your forehead so you see it in the mirror right when you wake up. 
That's a good verse. That's a beautiful promise. The Lord has done good things for us, and we are glad. This reminds me of the story that the, uh, the great English preacher of the 1800s, Charles Spurgeon, uh, told, and this will be on the screens for you, but Spurgeon tells this story. He says, I have heard of some good old woman in a cottage who had nothing but a piece of bread and a little water, and lifting up her hand, she said, as a blessing, what, all this, and Christ too? <laughs> and what a beautiful picture of what every believer should be experiencing. Listen, friend, if you have Jesus, you have everything you need. And if you don't have Jesus, it doesn't matter if you're the most wealthy person in the world, you are impoverished in every way that actually counts. Listen, Christian, we are a people who have been delivered. And we are being delivered, and we one day will be ultimately delivered when our Savior comes back to redeem and restore his people. And so we are, because of all of those truths, a people of immense joy. Now, that's all well and good. You could look at all four of those things and say, man, that's awesome. That's great, Chris. I'm glad that you seem to be experiencing that. But that, man, that's not what I'm walking in right now. That's not what I'm walking in right now. Like, that's not, that's not my current experience. And, and that's fine. If that's where you are, that's okay. We've all been there. We will all be there at different seasons in my life. My encouragement to you would simply be, if that's not where you are, make this your prayer. Just pray this as a prayer. If you can't proclaim it, pray it. And that's just a good, that man, that's a great principle for all scripture. If you can't proclaim it, pray it. Just pray what the psalmist is praying here. God, would you restore your joy to me? Like, God, I believe in you. Like, I'm all about the Jesus thing. Like, I, I believe that he came to this world, lived a perfect life, died a sinner's death for me, rose again to give me eternal life, abundant life, now and forevermore. Like, I believe it, but I don't feel it. It's in my head, but it's not in my heart. Pray that prayer. God, would you, would you restore your joy to me? God, would you, would you renew in me a fresh spirit? Would you, would you deliver me? And then the question, I think, becomes, man, we look at all four of those things. We're like, man, that's awesome. If you're walking in that right now, praise God. But if not, you might be thinking like, okay, Chris, man, all that, all that stuff, like I, I want it. I want that kind of renewal. I want that kind of restoration. But how do I get it? That sounds very ethereal. Like what, am I supposed to just like grab it out of the sky? Like how do I get it? And the psalmist is gonna give us two very practical ways that we can attain this kind of divine renewal and restoration in our lives. Look at verse four. He writes, restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the streams in the Negev. Now, I want you to notice that the psalmist has now moved in verse 4 from remembering the great works of God to praying a prayer. He's praying now, right? Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the streams of Negev. He's been remembering how God restored in the past, and now he's asking God to do it again. And so many of us, don't we need to make, pray that same kind of prayer, like over and over again? We pray that God would do something in our hearts. We feel like we kind of get it. He answers it. Three weeks later, we're like, man, sorry, God, but I got to pray it again. <laughs> I had it, but I lost it. The patience came, and now it left. <laughs> the peace came, and now it's gone. Like We've we got to pray for these things consistently. That's exactly what he's doing. He's going, God, would you do it again? Lord, I'm in trouble again. Would you deliver again? God, my life is like a spiritual desert again. Would you send the rains again? And he gives us like a really awesome word picture of this. He says, like the streams in the Negev. Now, I know all of you are Bible scholars. You don't need to look that up, but I had to look it up this week. Listen, the Negev was actually like the southern desert lands in Israel. 
And scholars say that for most of the year, it was, it was dry, it was a desert, it was hot, it was arid, cracked earth, brown, no life. But every so often in the wintertime, rains would come and all of the dry ditches and gullies would start to fill with water and they would flow like rivers. And scholars tell us that in those seasons, the grass would start to grow again and greenery would return and the, the riverbanks would be set ablaze with blossoms. It's like this really incredible picture of the renewal that God brings. And the psalmist is saying to the people of God, pray like that. Believe for that in your own life. Pray for that. He's saying God has done it in the past. He will do it again. And that's the first key, by the way, to unlocking the re renewal of God. There are two keys. Number one, if you're a note taker, write it down, is prayer. That's the first key. Prayer. Listen, y'all. The, the Bible says, you have not because you ask not. Man, my, my confession would be that I'm guilty of that. Like, that, that's for me. That encouragement is for me. You, you have not, oftentimes, believer, because you ask not. And I'm just convinced, like, for many of us as followers of Jesus, our greatest failings in our spiritual journeys, again, I'm convinced, is due to a lack of prayer in our lives. And I think what he's after here is he's saying, believer, learn to pray. Like, like learn to real, really pray. Like, pray big prayers. Like, if I were to ask you, if I were to pull you aside after the service and just ask you, what big prayer are you praying right now? I mean, like, God-sized prayer, you could never accomplish it. Nobody around you could accomplish it. Only if God shows up, this would happen in your life. How many of you would actually have an answer of a big God-sized prayer that you're praying? And listen, guys, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with, like, like, like praying before you eat. God, thank you for this food. Bless it to our bodies, yada, yada, yada. Or before you go to sleep, God, help me not have nightmares, sleep through the night, yada, yada. Those little prayers are good. They're fine. They're dandy. I think they're pleasing to God. But what big prayers are you praying right now in your life? And I think, I think the psalmist is saying, learn, believer, to pray big prayers, God-sized prayers. And I think he's also saying, learn to pray relentlessly. Learn to pray relentlessly. I'm always reminded when I talk about the subject, uh, one of the parables that Jesus told of the, the persistent widow. You guys remember that parable? I love, God, I love, I love that parable. You got this, this poor widow, and she's, She's been wronged somehow. We don't know why she's been wronged or how she's been wronged. We know she's a widow, so maybe, I don't know, maybe her husband is murdered or somebody has taken advantage of her since she is a widow and she doesn't have a husband there to protect. We don't know what the story is, but we know that she's seeking justice. There's just one problem in this parable. You know what it is? The judge in that city is evil. He's wicked. And so he keeps putting her off. So she'll show up and say, Judge, I, I, I need some justice. And she just keeps brushing her off, but she's persistent, right? And she keeps coming back, and she keeps showing up. And he, he goes to Ingalls, and boom, there she is. And he goes to the golf course, and boom, there she is. And he goes fishing, and boom, she pops out from behind a tree. Give me my justice. And the Bible says that eventually he's so beat down by her request that he just gives it to her. He's just like, just get off my back, woman. Take what, take what you want. And the point that Jesus is making in that parable is, listen, guys, if, if even an evil judge is moved by the persistence of asking, of request. How much more does our Father in heaven who loves his sons and daughters delight to answer those prayers? So what, what Psalm 126 is saying here is, Christian, listen, don't give up. Don't, don't stop. Keep praying. The rain might be right around the corner in your life. So that's the first key, pray, prayer. 
Big prayers, persistent prayers. There's a second key, though, that's just as important that we can't miss here that unlocks the, the renewal that all of us need to experience from God. Look at verse five. It says, those who sow, there it is, underline the word sow, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, there's the same word again, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. And that's the second key that unlocks this kind of renewal in our lives. It's prayer, number one. And number two, it's sowing. It's sowing. This, it's this idea, it's the picture of a farmer sowing seeds. We sow for renewal, he's saying. We pray and we sow. We ask and we do. There's a faith component and there's an action component. And the metaphor is this. Our, listen, this is beautiful. He's saying our tears are like seeds. Our tears, our sorrow, are like seeds that when sown properly, reap a harvest of joy in the right time. And what the psalmist is saying here, I think, is, believer, don't waste your sorrow. Don't waste your sorrow, your pain, your loss, your disappointment. Don't waste it. It's possible to waste all of that, isn't it? Just to kind of dump it all out on the ground in one place. We get mad, we, we cry, we live frustrated lives. Then let me ask you, what would you say about a farmer that took his entire bag of seed and just dumped it out in one spot? You're like, that's a dumb farmer, right? <laughs> like, like, dude, you're not going to grow anything. Just pour all your seeds out in one single spot. But that's because we know that good farmers sow widely and wisely. Good farmers sow widely and wisely. And that's the same call for believers in a spiritual sense in Psalm 126. This is a picture, ultimately, I think, of a farmer sowing seed in the desert. To the point that people around us may look at our lives as believers and, and, and be like, man, you're crazy. Like, why are you, why are you sowing seed in the desert? Like, it hasn't rained in your life in years. You haven't experienced rain in your life for for a decade like why are you sowing your seed on the desert floor man like you're wasting your time nothing's gonna grow there that's what i say uh, as we as we begin to close and wrap this up let me just say man I, I know i know for a fact because i've talked to some of you some of you are weary today like so, some of you are tired because you've been, you've been sowing those seeds, but there's been no harvest of joy for, for months, perhaps for years, maybe even decades. And you've been sowing those seeds of tears and sorrow over a, a wayward child, over a distant spouse, over broken dreams, shattered hopes. Listen, y'all, God knows. God knows and he sees your pain. And the encouragement from Psalm 126 today is this, listen, keep sowing. Believer, keep praying, keep knocking, keep seeking, keep believing, keep casting those seeds of prayer. Keep showing up in your quiet times to commune with Jesus and read the scriptures. Keep showing up to worship with the saints on Sunday morning. Keep showing up to your community group and your Bible study. Keep practicing generosity. Keep praying, keep going, keep sowing. Because the reality is this, your life may seem like a desert floor right now, but I promise you this, God knows where to send the rain. And he knows when to send the rain. And when God sends the rain, church family, hear me say this, when, when God sends the rain, and he will, the promise of Psalm 126 is on that day, 
we will reap a harvest of indescribable joy. Listen, y'all, the rain is coming. The rain is coming. So let's keep pressing into Jesus. Let's keep praying. Let's keep asking. Let's keep sowing those seeds for his glory and for our joy. Let's pray and then we'll worship. God, we come to you and we are grateful that you're, you are the God of restoration, that you're the God of renewal, that you actually delight to send the rains to our dry, weary souls, God. For those of us who are looking in the wrong places for that renewal and that restoration, God, would you, would you forgive us? And then also, God, in your grace and in your mercy, would you remind us that you are the source of life, that it's in you that we find renewal and restoration and joy for our souls and our hearts, and we can find that deep level of satisfaction in no one else and in nothing else except for you. God, so I pray for the person who's in the desert right now, person who feels like they're walking in exile they're casting seeds on a desert floor and they're sick and tired of it and it doesn't make sense and it seems pointless and it seems frustrating God would you just speak a life into their hearts and their souls even right now in this moment and would you whisper to them that the rain is coming to not give up to keep asking to keep seeking to keep praying to keep sowing those seeds faithfully because the rain is coming and on that day on that day when you restore us, when you renew us in your time, not our time, it will all have been worth it. And on that day, we will reap a harvest of indescribable joy. And so we look to you, Father, because you're the only one that can do this in us. And we pray all these things in the strong and beautiful name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Church family, let's stand and sing.